The scripture reading from today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. It's found on page 961 in your pew Bible. Uh, before we read the scripture, let's go to the Lord in prayer. O risen Christ, open to us the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we may rise to a new life in you. Amen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But in each his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. For when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him to put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The word of God for the people of God. It's always good to see that um, this church is being obedient to God's command, especially one of his first commands to be fruitful and multiply. You know, we can bring a lot of questions to Christianity. Um, we, we can wrestle with how did Noah get all those animals on the ark? Did he really get all the animals on the ark? Was there really um, a fish that swallowed Jonah? There, there's all sorts of questions of, weren't there a lot of books of the Bible that were left out? I mean, didn't I see that history documentary that talked about other gospels that have been suppressed? Aren't there harsh and difficult things that we read in the Old Testament that make us wonder, can we really believe this book? I mean, the, the psalm talking about a two-edged sword as we're praising God. And there's so many denominations and so many differences. Can we not get together on what the faith is about? Questions are good. I, I love these type of questions because my own journey of faith came through asking serious questions and not being satisfied with easy answers. And it was through the testing of asking questions that um, I became convinced of the truth of this book 
and the truth of Jesus. And so, you know, there, there, there can be those stupid questions like, can God make a rock too heavy that God himself can't pick it up? Or, you know, can God make a, a triangle that's round? I mean, save that for college dorms at 3 a.m. We're talking about real questions of people who want to find the truth. And if you want to find the truth, bring questions to this book. It's good to bring questions. But let me, let me help you out. You see, we don't have to get everything answered before we submit to Christ. We don't have to have every doctrine and every um, question of stories in the Bible of how it works and how it can be true and how can God be three in one and how can God be, um, come human in Jesus Christ. There, those need to be dealt with and we need to wrestle with questions. We need to ask those things. But there's only one question that really we have to deal with. You see, you don't come to faith the same way you come um, and, and buy a new car. If you buy a new car, you do a lot of research on the um, uh, Internet. You look at how much space, gas mileage. My wife wants to know how many. Um, my, my wife would want to know how many uh, cup holders there are. You know, that, that's critical and important. Um, we look at all these sort of things when we buy a car and we find the one that fits us. You don't approach Jesus that way. You don't think this is the kind of God I want to worship and let me follow somebody who believes in that. You don't come up with this is the thing I think is good and bad because if God is God, he gets to set those things. No, we, we come and we're faced with a question about who Jesus is. And he makes a claim to us and he says, I am um, you know, I'm the son of God. I've come to die for your sins and be raised again on the third day um, to free you and ransom you. He, he tells us that he's doing these things, so he makes a claim, and that ultimately that he rose again from the dead. What we celebrate is an audacious claim. It, it, it's a claim that this actually happened in history, that a dead man walked out of a grave. And so... That is the, the claim we deal with. Rather than kind of let me get my stuff and come to God, let me hear this claim because if this is true, it changes everything. And if it's false, well, you all look nice. I hope you have a good dinner and um, have fun with the eggs. But we're a bunch of fools. That's what Paul says if this is false. Amazing that we says this point of history is critical to who we are. And so rather than dealing with all the thousands of questions you might bring to the Bible, you have one to settle. All of questions are important, but we need priority because if this is true, you have to deal with the rest of them. And if it's not, the others are irrelevant. And one question is, why was the grave empty? Why was that grave on the Easter morning empty? Because here's the thing, nobody says there was a body there. Everybody knew the grave was empty. You could have ended the Christian movement within a day by just going and opening the grave and saying, here's the body. And that would be all there is to it. I don't know if you all remember a few years ago, there was the claim that somebody found the ossuary, the bone box that had Jesus on there, uh, Jesus' name and some others, and they said they found the bones of Jesus and I had some well-meaning, but oh, I won't say stupid, but you know, well-meaning, but not truly uh, reasonable um, other believers who said, 
you know, even if they found the bones of Jesus, my faith is not dependent on that. I, I could still be a Christian because I'm mostly following Jesus because of the kindness he taught and his good works. And I thought, have you not read Paul? Because what Paul is saying is if Jesus is not truly risen, we are, well, we're doing a lot of things. Let me tell you what he said. He said if, if Jesus is not ra- risen, and he, everything seems to be saying physically raised because he's not saying it's a metaphor for spring. It's the good news of Jesus living in your heart. It's, it's how kind we can be together, and we just keep the memory alive. No, he's saying this body got back up from the grave, and if it didn't, here's the thing. If, if the grave was empty, um, but it wasn't because Jesus was risen, Number uh, first off in verse 14, our message is in vain. The thing that we pronounce over and over every week and the things that we believe in and we trust in our deepest Heart. It's not that these can be good things to help make you a better person. That's not the goal. The, the thing is, they're, they're vain because they're not true, and it's a waste of time. So if, if Jesus is not risen, if the answer to the question, why was the grave empty, is not because Jesus is raised, not only are we wasting our time, but verse 15 says that we... Um, are lying about God. We testify about God is not true. We're representing him, and therefore we're, we're kind of blaspheming. We're saying something that's not true about Jesus. And that means Jesus can't be just a good teacher or the Bible an inspiring book because if Jesus isn't raised that he said he was going to, then he was a liar. And if the Scriptures are telling us something that's not true, it's not an inspiring book. It's, it's propaganda. And so not only are we wasting our time and we're liars and guilty for that, but if Jesus is not raised, our faith is futile. The whole point of Jesus' resurrection is to show that he truly was able to do what he said he would do, and that was pay for your sins. All the wrong that you do, that your, your own heart condemns you of and says, I should have done this, I should have done better, you spend so much time trying to justify and say, no, I'm really a good person because I, I did this and that makes up for that. And you find all this stuff we're doing in our lives to make up for because we know in our heart of hearts we don't measure up to our own standard that's written in our heart. And Jesus' resurrection is a promise that if you trust in him, that was paid for on the cross. And now you have been restored into your relationship with God. If he is raised from the dead, we are forgiven, but if we're not, we're still in our sin, and the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ is empty. And the biggest problem of my life, that I'm in rebellion against a holy God who cannot stand sin, has not been resolved, and I know no other way to resolve it because I don't have the resources, the goodness, or the power in myself to heal that brokenness. Therefore, verse 18 tells us, that we, who have, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. We have no hope. We have no life, hope in life, and we are pitiful. That's, we deserve pity because we believe a lie. That is what is at stake about this question. It's what's at stake with all of us, so we have to make sure we get this right. Because everything we believe and hope for rests on the answer to the question, why was the grave empty? So here are some options to consider. First off, you're probably going to say, well, how can I trust this book? Wasn't it written by people trying to get power over others? 
always find that a weird claim because the only power you got was the power to be martyred by the Roman Empire. You were cast out of all society to believe this, but we'll go with the, 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 the premise. Good question. Can we believe this? I think I just said it wasn't a good question, but we'll pretend it's a good question. Peter and other disciples um, put themselves in bad light. Have you ever been with a friend who always knew what was going to happen? Maybe you're at the movie and he shouts out, I knew it, I knew it. You know, the ball team wins. I knew they were going to win. I knew. Have you ever said, had anyone say, nah, I, was, I was clueless. I had no idea that was going to happen. That's what the, the disciples have said about themselves this whole time. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. If they fabricated a story, now if I fabricated a story, I might admit to, you know, um, he was just, his heart was too big. That was his biggest weakness. You know, you're not going to say stuff like, I betrayed my Lord. I denied knowing him. You're not going to make up that sort of thing. So this is a book where people have put themselves in bad light. It's a book where they've decided the greatest event, they bear witness that women were the witnesses of the event which for us makes sense, but for that time would be something you wouldn't do because the trustworthiness of a patriarchal society would not be where you would make this up for women to be the witnesses. There's all these particular names in the books um, that we don't see elsewhere. And sometimes you read and say, okay, so Rufus carried, uh, the son of Rufus carried uh, Jesus's cross. Or you, you read where it talks about Joanna going with them, and you're like, who's Joanna? I've never come across Joanna. The, the writers, what they're doing is they're pointing to people that would know what happened. In other words, they're, they're giving corroborating witnesses. They're saying, if you want to know about this stuff, go ask Rufus. He'll tell you all about it. That, that's why earlier in this chapter, Paul is laying out all those who witnessed the resurrected Lord. So we trust this. We, we see this evidence of trusting this book, and it tells us about the grave being empty. So here are the options. Was the grave robbed? Um, this would not be, make any sense. If someone had overcome Roman soldiers, rolled away the stone, and broken in, they would not have taken the, they would have taken the linen cloth. And if you read the, the, the gospel accounts, they talk about the cloth that's laid there. You wouldn't take a useless body and leave in the most expensive thing. It was valuable. That's why at Jesus' crucifixion, they divided his clothing. Maybe you say, well, the disciples robbed it. The idea that those who um, had been hiding and been afraid and who had no expectation of a resurrection suddenly had the courage and strength to overcome Roman soldiers, this group of fishermen and accountants, were able to overthrow these professional soldiers and propagate a belief and were willing to die for something they knew to be a lie. I find that really hard to believe. So if the body wasn't taken, some say, well, maybe Jesus really didn't die on the cross. Maybe as they pierced his heart, they, they missed. And so they want to propose the idea that after the Roman crucifixion, one of the most brutal, brutal tortures ever invented, a man was left without medical attention behind a rock with no one there and suddenly came to his health strong enough to remove a stone and overcome soldiers. Had the disciples encountered Jesus coming out of the grave like that, 
bloodied, bruised, staggering and gasping for breath. They wouldn't believe he is resurrected. They believe he never really died. Everything bears witness. There's no sense of, of finding some kind of way that Jesus did not rise from the dead if you look at the evidence that were presented. And to quote the wonderful theologian Sherlock Holmes, How often have I said to you, Watson, when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Paul says, if, we are not, if it is not raised, we are hopeless and pitiful liars. But because Christ has been raised, we have a marvelous hope. We have all this evidence to say he really did rise again from the dead. And in doing so, all the corruption and guilt in our life, for those who trust in him, has been taken to the cross. And all that filth and all that stuff that keeps you up at 3 a.m. wishing you had done something else is paid for, it's taken, it's forgiven. And, and that, that life beyond death that your heart itself is yearning for and tells you, I know this is, I'm meant for something beyond this world, is promised to us and given to us. That all of our sin has been taken, all of our brokenness healed, and the resurrection is the beginning of the overturning of all the darkness and evil and injustice and death in the world. You see, God is not only forgiving individual sins, he's reestablishing the proper order he intended for his creation. The resurrection is, as he said, is putting under subjection the world. He's putting everything under the rightful king. The true and right king is, is taking control yet again of his creation. And so we're not only forgiven, we're being invited into this kingdom of life, and joy, looking for the hope when God will restore everything and everything sad will come untrue. The presence of that kingdom is one part of the evidence of the resurrection. I get to see it every day. That those who have believed in this resurrection, who believe the grave was empty because Christ has risen and is bringing about a new order, the people who believe that are brought into a family. They're not only restored in a relationship with God, but they're brought into a community with one another. He is building his kingdom of resurrected people with you. And to get to see that is evidence of what the risen king still does as he guides us by his spirit and speaks to us through his word. For one thing, the, the church, those who trust in him have survived millennia in spite of Roman Empire attempting to oppress, in spite of regime after regime trying to put down, in spite of our own stupidity and our failures as God's people, in spite of our own sin, he continues to be using ordinary people, weak, fallen sinners, yet bringing them and healing them so that they love and serve others. So when I look out and I see old and young, rich and poor, those who vote red, those who vote blue, different walks of life, different work, laughing around some crawfish, praying with one another and weeping with one another, laughing at your joys and continuing to show the glory of God in relationship with the friendships that I don't see happening anywhere else in the world apart from people who have been overwhelmed by the love of the risen Lord and his gospel. As they seek to follow the risen Christ. They worship him. What we see is evidence of the resurrection among you. You're not just a collection of forgiven individuals. 
You are, as Eugene Peterson calls, a colony of heaven in a country of death. Why do you believe the grave was empty? Personally, as you think about it and you think, if you're not sure, this is a pretty good place for questions to take part in and just see, is there something to this in the lives of people around you? This is a good place to bring doubts. We have plenty of them and questions and wrestle with this evidence. And if you are sure and you know that he has risen and that is why it's empty, I pray that the conviction of that truth will be made more real and more clear to you, that you know why you believe he lives And that your faith in that truth is bolstered so that you with boldness will go live a life of resurrection, inviting others into that joy and others into that community as we live as a resurrected people. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.